Hi, I'm Batsheva Frankel from Overthrowing Education, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. For me, the most important thing to see is how to start the year. The student teachers come in weeks already into the school year or like, uh, Ben, I got you like at the half, like at the halfway point of the school year almost. You know what I mean? Student teaching needs to start at the beginning of the year. They need to learn, you know, how to, you know, build rapport, but, you know, put systems in place and things like that. Because they're already walking into a well-oiled machine. They need to see how you got, you know, all the parts on that machine. I think that for me, that would have been so beneficial if I could have started my student teaching at the beginning of a school year. That's huge. I think that's that's everything. Welcoming you to another episode of Transparency and Teaching. This is episode number 34 for those of you who are counting. So, yeah. And today I am joined by Jennifer. Yep, I'm here. And we have a special guest today because of our topic. And our topic today is who <laughs> the hell would go into teaching these days? And to answer questions about that experience, we have brand new baby Mr. teacher, ben. ben. That's right. Say hi, Ben. Hi, everyone. Ben, yeah, Ben was ben. actually my student teacher, mm. and we got his ass a J-O-B. Yes. That's right. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. You were the connection, Jen. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe that was a bad thing. <laughs> we'll find out, I'm sure. It's a good thing. So, in any case, Sharon... Sharon's not here today, so it's going to be just Jen and I in the driver's seat, and we're going to be throwing questions at Ben like he's on track. Well, and you probably so you could probably answer a lot ben. of these questions too because your newest adventure is you are a what's your exact title? University supervisor. University supervisor. Ooh. So that's her job now is to go out and supervise new teachers and uh, you know, lead them down the correct path. Lead them to the poppy field, and (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna need it. Oh my gosh! No, I yeah. So I have um, I go to various high schools, and I have one middle school this semester, and I talk or not talk, but I observe the student teachers who are, uh, you know, working on their credential. This is the last step before they actually can get their credential, Uh, and it's really cool. It's super positive. I love it. It's like all the good parts mm-hmm. of teaching without all the crap, right? I don't have nice. any lesson plans. I don't have discipline. I have nothing. I get to share my insights with these people. And for the most part, they're pretty receptive. And it kind of makes you feel valuable now that I'm retired and feel like <laughs> I have nothing to offer in the world. And no, She's but, so morbid but, sometimes. <laughs> it's my, it's my age. It's my age. But um, yeah, so that, it's super awesome. I love it. And they also have something, which we can talk about too. I'm sure we will. Um, different than than when I was in school for my credential mm. it is 
yeah. internships. So I have two teachers who are on the payroll. They're, they're paid full-time teacher pay as a first year teacher and they're teaching and they don't have, um, uh, a master yeah. teacher. Well, I, can't, I guess I can't say master teacher anymore. Like I just learned that teacher. you can't say that word master. Yeah. yeah. Not even master bedroom. Yeah. I was like, what? No. Mm-hmm. What about master bader? You can't say that either. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. <laughs> the language is changing. People. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I know. That's what the, the newer generation is way more aware of that. But in any case, the interns don't have a um, cooperating teacher. They don't have a lead teacher over them. They're on their own. I still go in to observe them, but instead of every other week, I have to go in every week, review what they did. And we talk about it, what they could do better. And then I kind of help them uh, stay on track for finishing their Cal TPAs. How long do you stay when you go to observe? You don't have to stay much more than 30 minutes, but I usually stay the whole class. So I can speak with them afterwards. Well, at least they're getting paid. Gosh, that was like, that was the worst part. You have to do student teaching and you don't get paid. No. And and I have one student teacher in particular. A lot of the student teachers are young. They're living at home. But I have in the past had a student teacher who actually was married, had two little kids at home, had an excellent job uh, at UPS that he gave up to go into teaching. But think about this, you know, he's got a family at home. He's doing student teaching, which means he's not getting paid. He can't really get a second job or to help out because he's working all day. Yeah. And then he has school on top of that. Exactly. So it's like free labor for these school districts. And it's part of probably part of the reason why some people think twice about going into uh, education because of that. The huge hoop. Yeah. So the interns skip over that. They don't, they just are right on the payroll. They get hired on right off the bat. So I think that's a step forward. Yeah. That's definitely pretty positive. Yeah. It's kind of where it probably should go just to kind of get started. Ben, I was looking at some of the reasons that people become teachers and I found this thing on for Cal state Chico put out 10 reasons that people should go into teaching. And the first one is Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a huge demand, supposedly. Yeah. No, there is a huge demand. Depends on what state you're in. But in general, there's a huge demand for teachers, and they think that that's just going to grow over time. So it's a job where there's plenty of jobs for you to apply for. And the second reason they gave was that you can profoundly impact the lives of children. And the children can yeah. profoundly impact positive and negative. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> not in the best way, but they can. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is that the average teacher in their whole career will touch the lives of about 3000 students. That's a lot of people, you know? And so that's a, that's a heavy load, I think, to put on Mm -hmm. a person's shoulders too, when you actually realize that a good thing about teaching is you can take your credential to another state or another location Mm -hmm. and it's portable. Um, there might be a few things you have to do if you go state to state. Like usually you have to enroll in, um, the state history classes or something like that. And maybe pass a few tests on that, but because of the teacher shortage in many States, they're, they are changing a lot of the rules and they'll just like, Hey, give me your credential. You got a credential from, Mm, you know, Alabama. Great. It's great here in Mississippi. Isn't California credentials pretty much universal too? 
I think yeah. that's what I've heard because they're so rigorous, I guess. Also, if you plan on having a family, right. great for that because work your schedule. schedule, yeah, your work schedule that you're in, you're working when your kids are in school and you're home when they're home and you're on vacation when they're on vacation. So there's a lot of good benefits for that. There are some incentives to get your continued education because if you don't get a master's degree, well, you're going to uh, be very on, poor. Though. So I've got my master's. I get $35 more a paycheck. So it, <laughs> I, I don't know about, you know, increase in money, 35 bucks a month. It's not much, but the, but where, where it does pan out is, is it's not necessarily the master's, but the, in order to get a master's right, you've got to get so many more units and the more units are what move you over on the pay scale. Right. So, Okay. So being a teacher means that you are contributing to the community <laughs> in a very helpful way. So important. You are, you are creating, you are creating good mm -hmm. citizens. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That would be the goal. Right. Um, I think number, the number seven one is never a dull moment. I think that's super true. I cannot think of one day where I was bored out of my mind. There might be days where it's like, okay, we have, we're doing testing and it's, that's kind of boring, but it's not like yeah. a repetitive job. Every day is different. Stories to tell. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Oh yes. Yes. Plenty of them. Plenty of them. Uh, they say it's mm -hmm. an outlet for creativity. Yeah. You can develop lessons that are engaging and bring new right. ideas yeah, into the classroom. It depends on your administration and how much freedom you have. Mm -hmm. And what subject you teach too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're lucky we teach history. So okay. we have a ton of freedom. Yeah. yeah because there's no testing on it. You don't get tested. Mm -hmm. Right. Do yeah. they do tests? They don't do state testing. They do. They do in eighth grade, but it's not a lot of seventh grade curriculum. I mean, there's, a, there's some, but more yeah. like big ideas. Yeah. It says it keeps you young because you're surrounded by young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at my face. <laughs> look at your face now, though. You do have that Benjamin Buttons retirement thing going on, and you look so much younger for sure. That's because I'm using a Snapchat filter. It gets rid of all my wrinkles. <laughs> well, I've seen you in person, so it's true. And then the last one says it has it gives you a mm -hmm. chance to change the future, right? You don't really know sometimes which kids you affect and hopefully Ben in your long career to come, you'll end up having students that come back and you won't remember them or anything that about them. And they're going to say, thank you, Mr. Ben, for everything you did. You changed my life. And the life. first thing and they say like, is they come back and say, do you remember great. me? I'm all, uh, you have like kids. You were probably in my class 20 years ago. I Sorry, I don't remember you. But that's the first thing. Do you remember me? I'm like, no, of course I don't remember you. Unless you look exactly the same you have an age. <laughs> so those of you who see your teachers 20 years from then, please don't embarrass them and make them feel bad by asking if they remember you. Because <laughs> we don't. We're not meaning to be yeah. mean, but that's just it. I have room in my head for 150 names a, a, a year. And that's it. At, yeah. at the end of the year, I hit the purge button, get ready for the next 150. So, well, a lot of times when they say their name, yeah, I'll remember them, but they, they just based on their looks, do you remember me? I'm like, that was junior high. You're like you a beard uh, now, you know, 
drinking and smoking now. Like, come on. <laughs> You're, yeah. Yeah. You have a, you have a beard with gray. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. Yeah. So Ben, of those 10 things, did any of those, were any of those reasons why you decided to go into this profession? What motivated you? Yeah. Why did you want to become yeah. a teacher? Well, I'm looking, looking over them right now. I'll start with number one there, the growing demand. So this wasn't necessarily what, um, you know, motivated me. Um, cause I was, I was thinking about teaching way before I even understood that there was a demand and before COVID hit. Um, and that's where I think the demand really started to rise. And I, I'm sure there were other factors involved, but, um, that, that growing demand allowed me to get, um, my first job so easily in, um, where we're teaching. Um, I didn't even have to interview for it. So I got right in there. Um, and I just remember people always saying like, oh, we need more subs. We need more subs. Like, thank you so much for being here. No one wants to be here. Were you were you subbing at the, um, at our school? Is that where you started? Oh, at our okay. school. Yeah. I was actually a resident sub too. So that was kind of cool because I got to um, plug myself in to a community there. I wasn't like hopping around school to school. I got yeah. to settle in, get to know the different teachers the different students the different staff do you think that helped you get your job at the at the school absolutely eventually? absolutely so you would would you recommend somebody who was you know looking for a job maybe in there if there wasn't something in a particular school maybe see if they could get in as a resident sub? yes start yeah. subbing there and and i think that's a great to start subbing where you want to work because maybe it's not what you think it is you know test it out drive the car first before you buy it you know Right. Yeah. It was a great way to dip my, my toes in the water and yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, there were many moments where I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. Really rough. Um, and, but I decided like, you know, I got to do something. I got to, I got to commit to something. Um, cause if I just keep dipping my toe in different ponds like that, I'm not going to get anywhere. So, um, I stuck with it and I got, to know a lot of the people. And I think that's, that's what kept me there was the, the support around me. What kept me there for 36 years. That was the only school I ever taught at. And I got my job at our school because um, I subbed there a lot. Advice number me. one, people get to know your peeps at the place you want to work. Yes. So yeah, that, that was definitely a big part of it, but um, I'm looking at these other um, reasons here and if any of these came into play before I was even subbing or before I understood there was a demand, um, I think the outlet for creativity was a big one. So just a little background on myself. Um, I originally wanted to be an artist, um, like a graphic designer or an illustrator. And that was the, the vision that I had since I was like in middle school. And a lot of people told me like, hey, this is like what you're meant to do. Like, you're so good at it this. Is good and at it. Yeah, you should totally like capitalize on it. And I was like, cool. Yeah, I'm down. And but then I got into college and um, I started to realize how hard it would be um, to make a living as an artist. Um, like there was so much more. That's why they call mm, them starving right? artists. Yeah. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, I I thought about that and I was like, this is uh this is going to be so much more than just the the artistic talent. This is going to be um, work ethic, business mindset, um, build like having connections. And I was like, I don't know if I want to make my hobby uh, my career. I think that might ruin it for me. 
So I thought, well, okay, I've spent all this time uh, practicing my art, taking these classes. Like I've, I've got to do something with that. And um, I realized, okay, I, I like history. Like I'm super into studying history. Um, and I actually, I love to depict history um, through my art. And then it hit me, you know, like teaching. That's that's something where I could combine both of those things. And my my family, a lot of them are teachers. Mm. Um, my parents, both teachers, my grandparents, they were um, like religious teachers. They were missionaries. Um, and that's just it just kind of runs in my genetics, I think. And for most of my life, I I was telling myself, I am not going to be a teacher. <laughs> the one thing I'm not going to be. That sounds awful. <laughs> Especially I said those words too. And then, then when I was in college, I said, well, I'll go get my credential just for something to fall back on. And then next thing I knew I fell back on it. <laughs> I'd wanted to be a teacher since I was a tiny person. We used to play school. I was the teacher for my sister. Well, now she's a doctor. So apparently I was real at it. <laughs> Now that I've stepped into it, I I realize that there's a lot of qualities I have that um that mesh well with with these, you know, these young kids. And I didn't it took, you know, it took some some risks and some testing of my my abilities to realize that. And at first it was really tough, but then I saw like, okay, how I I, I can channel these these qualities that I have. Um and yeah, I actually like doing this. This is fun. Like I, I love to see kids um, light up when they, or get curious about things and ask questions. Like it's fun for me because I, I just love talking about history in general to people, like people my age, people older than me. And when I get to talk to people younger than me, I am, I'm like the, you know, somewhat of the authority and it feels, it's kind of cool to be able to um, impart that to them and see them actually enjoy what they're hearing about it. Ben, you said something to me, uh, oh, yesterday that I was like, oh, I got to bring that up in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So Ben's young, right? Ben, Ben's a lot younger than both of us. So he made a comment. How old are you, Ben? Oh, I'm 25, 25 years old. Yeah. Just turned 25. Mm -hmm. Um, and he made a comment that because of the fact that he's so young, he thinks he kind of understands these kids a little better and and gets like what was it that you said that you you understand them a little bit better and you, uh. kind of, you can relate to them better and then when they talk about you know like these games and this you know anime and stuff like you know what they're talking about like I have to go my kids were talking about some anime something the other day and I actually went and had to go look it up so I even could understand what they were trying to tell me <laughs> it's super important to be able to relate to yeah. your students and that is an advantage of being a newer teacher <laughs> unless you're a teacher who really makes an effort to keep up with your students i think that's really important ben it's a it good hit point. me that i'm actually i think in the same generation as most of my students if if i i, I know people mark have different um ways of marking the generations but you know their generation we call them gen z I call them Gen Lazy. <laughs> lazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And oh, I gotta use that. I'm glad it's free. I do identify it with them a lot because um, we grew up with a lot of the same stuff. We grew up with a lot of the same culture. Just being born into the internet age, the information age. Right. 
you guys are all what we call digital natives. You grew up with it. You don't know a time before. Yeah. You have no idea how we struggled. Oh, what did you guys do with Google, without the Google yeah, Map? Yeah, we had to figure it out. And we used a map. We used a thing called the Thomas Guide. And we played outside when we got home from school. <laughs> we did all that. We, we knew what the Dewey yeah. Decimal System was. Um, the Dewey Decimal System. I do. I don't know. <laughs> I've heard of it before. <laughs> Maybe I know it and I'm not recognizing it. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, folks. Right there. That's how young Ben is. Of course, yeah, what, yeah. some of our listeners are probably going, I don't know what to do with decimal system. <laughs> Looking up, folks. All right. Let me ask you this, Ben. Or what do you think the role is or the purpose is of being a teacher or an educator? What's your What's your kind of like your operating system on that, your mission statement. I don't have a a super eloquent mission statement to give you, but I think if I had to boil it down, it would be to bring out potential, to bring out, to bring out potential and be a stepping stone for, for people, for, for young people. And that you can do that in a lot of different ways. And that's, that's why I say it that way, because um, you can bring out potential in your students without ever, I think, being able to teach them a single thing. Like maybe they won't remember a single thing from your class, but there's some things you can tell them um, that can give them confidence or lead them in a direction um, that really that really works for them and their strengths. I feel like very strongly about that, especially in middle school. I think that's that's exactly what you just said is exactly what middle school teachers do. Well, so it's a, they, this is the turning point. They either go the, the right direction or they just veer way off the course. And that's what seems to happen between seventh and eighth grade, starting in, you know, the latter part of seventh grade. And sometimes these kids come back after seventh grade, eighth grade, and they are just like hellions. But at the same time, some of those kids that, you know, were, I know we had some kids last year that just oh ran us rampant that are, that are, you know, doing way better. You know, they matured a little bit and they're doing a lot better this year. So so weird how how it all like works out. It's because, you know, you have your elementary school kids, right? And they're coming up and either they've been making it or they've been just being passed along. And the kids that are just getting passed along. They get to the point where school's just too hard. And then they get into middle school and that's where the teacher has to bring them back. You have to get them excited to be learners again. And just like you said, Ben, it's not necessary, especially in middle school. High school is a different story because a lot of kids are trying to go to college. But in middle school, I think your a job, our job, is to teach kids social skills, how to have responsibility and how to be organized. If you have those skills, if we can teach our kids those skills, if you can do that through history, you know, through your teaching, then it's a that you win. Yeah, win win. So I, I agree with you on that. That that's what you're supposed to do is light light the fire under kids again, especially ones that have had the fire put out. Super important. Mm-hmm. Extinguish. You got to mm-hmm. relight them. Without them lighting you on fire. I know. Oh, yeah. Sometimes literally. These days. <laughs> with right. every, with, you know, the problem they're having um, in some places of getting teachers, and there's just not a lot of people who are going into it, that that may be something that people think about as, well, why would I do that job if it's not well-respected? I can do another job maybe, you know, make more money and have respect that goes with it. So I think that in my opinion, I feel like that may be a part of a reason why some people are sidestep that idea. They might be amazing teachers, but because of the, the certain controversies, wherever they may be, they maybe choose something different. I was just curious if that 
affected you in in any way that that is a that is a a big part of it i think and the whole respect factor it's like i'm working my butt off to do this and people don't care like you have summers off you don't do anything in the summer yeah people say well you don't (laughs) you don't even work that much i'm like oh my god (laughs) hello you're off work at three yeah (laughs) (laughs) luckily for me i I have been surrounded by people in my life who have encouraged me and have said things like, man, I have so much respect for teachers. Like um, I, I haven't really come across anyone who's belittled me for wanting to be a teacher. They've only said like, Oh, now, did you get that re- reaction when they say, what grade do you teach? Always. Yeah. Yeah. They start off with like, I'm a teacher. And you're like, they're like, well, yes. Oh, that's awesome. What grade do you teach? Seven. Junior high. Oh. <laughs> Every single time. No, honestly, without fail, every time, like they, they're, people have assumed um, that I either teach high school or elementary. They, and they're always surprised when I tell them seventh grade, they're like, really, man? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That actually does motivate me a little bit. Cause I'm like, okay, like I, there, I like to think that um, there's some purpose in the struggle. And that actually, um, that actually brings me to another talking point if you would allow me to bring that up yeah do it yeah so when I first started subbing um at our school this was you know according to everyone who worked at the school the worst year that they've ever had in their teaching career like so many of them were telling me that just because of the the lack of social um development that these kids um suffered from during the the coat like you know when we were in the thick of covid and it was all distance learning and all that and i i was like wow so i'm i am just starting in the worst year um and i thought to myself like this is the perfect trial by fire and every day i went what a good attitude yeah. that's a great attitude thanks yeah it it really it really kind of helped because i'm like okay can it get much worse from here really um I don't want to jinx anything, but if if things are the worst they've ever been, um, because we've been distance teaching for so long, maybe now, like I, things can only go up from here. Um, and every day I went in, I, I kind of felt like a soldier, um, you know, fighting this battle with all the teachers around me. That was that was one of the things in Ben's interview when he left. My principal and I were talking about him. I said, like, he was here during, like, I've been here, you know, 17 years. And he was here during the worst year I've ever seen. And he wants to come back. Like, that was, like, one of my, you know, kudos for him. I was like, you know, as bad as it was, I mean, we had teachers, you know, quit and not come back. And a lot of teachers were like, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I can't, I can't have another year like this. Ben was like. All right, like like round two, you know what I mean? He was ready to (laughs) come back. So I I said that to my principal and she was like, you know what, you're right. And now, you know, he he saw he was in the the worst of the trenches and he was like ready to come back. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I that was a big, you know, plus after his interview, you know, just like he said. let's let's talk about training because that's my biggest beef i, I really want to know 
what you had to do to get your credential, what courses did you take? Um, and um, if you felt it was adequate, what your what your training was, I don't know what university you were at. You don't need, I don't need you to say, but in your opinion, what was your training? First, tell us that. What's the current mm -hmm. thing you did? And then was it good enough? So my training was all online. Literally every single course I took was online. Was that because of COVID? Because of COVID. And even once we came back in person, like for my last course that I, I could have taken in person, the course that I signed up for, for some reason, um, it could only be done online. It wasn't even a COVID thing. It was just a logistics thing. And I was like, dang, I wanted to have at least one class where I could actually see my colleagues, <laughs> um, you know, in a little black square. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. Know, like only from the neck up and I was I was bummed but <laughs> I think I think it worked because a lot of it was um conceptual. It wasn't a whole lot of you know in the trenches hands-on type of stuff. It was like okay, like here's strategies, here are things you need to consider when you're teaching. Like a big a big part of my education was um equity, right? And reaching all the students, especially like English language learners. I remember that was a my, I had a thesis that was my, my thesis was focused on um, teaching history to English language learners and being uh, making it culturally relevant to them. So I think that was okay. I, maybe I would have, you know, gotten more out of it if it was in person. Um, the real, the real training for me um, though came when I was student teaching with Jen. What do they give you? Do they, do they teach you how to teach history? I, I remember when I was in college and I've said this on another podcast, what a freaking waste of time for yeah. me in all the college classes. Like I didn't learn crap until I actually got into the classroom and everything that they taught was so unrealistic. Yes. They would even show us these videos. I'm like, how many kids are even in that class? 10, you know, right. you get to, you get to a real classroom and you've got 30 something kids. Some of them don't even speak English. You know, some of them are special needs. Like it, it's so unrealistic the the scenarios and the types of reality fed to you in college courses. I think I'm like, what a what a bunch of crap. <laughs> Sorry. What about your university. What about your professors, the people that were teaching? Were they actually current teachers, or were they people who had been in the classroom a while ago, or were they not even that? Yeah, no, I think all of them, or at least most, had either been teachers principals or both and that they were currently doing that one of them was currently a principal i don't think any of them were currently teachers on the side of being professors like they were either principals or um doing some other type of thing but i i, I did feel like they i had good professors like professors who understood there were a few um that were teaching me things that I came to learn were very unrealistic, like Jen was saying. And can you give me an example of that? Yeah, can of I can think of one. I remember there was this one idea we were talking about where you the idea of having a democratic classroom, um, where kids get to have like a big say in what happens. And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. That's kind of new. I never would have thought of that as a student when I was, you know, in elementary and middle school like that. I would that things would be like a democracy. And I kind of started to build a vision for that. Like, oh, yeah, maybe I can, you know, have all these different roles and we can like vote on things. Um, but then I came into the classroom and I'm like, this that is not going to work. <laughs> um, like, 
Yeah, it was, yeah, in the <laughs> grade that I was teaching, for sure. Maybe if I was teaching high school seniors, it, it could work. But you kind of, you got to be the moral authority um, in the classroom there. And I don't want to call it like a monarchy or anything. But um, yeah, it just, I think I became very disillusioned after, after seeing the reality of things. <laughs> I had a class where we had to put together um, a box for bulletin boards. <laughs> bulletin board yeah. Oh my God. They were assuming you were going to teach elementary school. We had to do that. And then, but, and we had to write lesson plans mm -hmm. in a very specific style. Uh huh. That we don't even, that we, I never ever used one single time. Those let all those lessons plans I had to write. I never, ever, ever mm -hmm. used a single one of them when it, when it came to actually being in the classroom. But do you think, Ben, did you have to do that too? Right? Like, like fake, like quote unquote lesson plans for an imaginary people. Mm -hmm. So do you think though, that that prepared you at least to get you on track for thinking how to develop lessons or is it completely not anything that you found useful? Mm, yeah, I think I agree with Jen somewhat on it. Like, oh my gosh, like, why did I, like, I'm not even using that, but I think there is, there was a structure to the lesson plans that I, I now have in me, like, that's just kind of naturally in there. Like, okay, like these three main parts and I can, I can uh, do it in different ways, but like, you know, there's the, you know, hooking the kids in and then having some direct instruction and then having them work independently after that. Um, and so that whenever, whenever I'm putting together plans with Jen or on my own, I, I kind of keep that in mind, like, okay, how do I hook them in? Um, how am I going to deliver interesting, like direct instruction? And then how am I going to reinforce that with like uh, independent work that they, they actually do? So they're not just listening in, to a man lecture the entire period. Even though we do love to hear ourselves talk. I know, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about student teaching because you said that that was the most important part of your um, of your training. But what was valuable about it? And was it long enough? What do you think? What's your opinion of how your experience student teaching? Because I know there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this that are maybe going into student teaching. So what can you, how can you enlighten them about what to expect and whether it's worth it or not, what to do. As far as the expectations though, I think it differs on like your master teacher. Cause, and you were just saying you've had kids that, well, students that you're going on what week nine and you haven't even seen them teach a lesson. You know, Ben was teaching lessons on like week two, <laughs> you know, or, or pieces of lessons, you know, I think it just kind of depends. So what do you, how should, how should student teaching be structured in your opinion? Oh, that is a good question. Well, the first thing that, that popped into my mind when you brought that up was um, the fact that for me, there were a lot of pieces that just kind of fell into place that made student teaching um, manageable and enjoyable for me. So I'm, I'm just speaking from personal experience here. So I, I got to student teach at the school where I was subbing. So I had that advantage. I already got to know a lot of the kids. And then second, I was working with Jen. And, you know, as soon as I stepped in, I realized like Jen, she's got it down. Like the students respect her. Like she's able to manage very well. 
And that was good for me because it allowed me to see, like, give me a vision of what I could be like as a teacher once, once I got my management down and my systems down. Cause I, I, she, she was able to take care of all the management while I got to, you know, do what I like. I got to deliver these lessons. And as far as how, how it should be structured, I don't know, that might be a, a personal, a personal preference, but it really helps to have a good cooperating teacher with good management, um, you know, to give you a sense of like what, what you can do as a teacher. I think too, like, I think a lot of it has to do with the teacher that you're paired with too, because that teacher has got to be able to give up control and, you know, be able to step back and, you know, let you trial and error and not, you know, by the end, not necessarily be coming to your rescue, you know, especially sometimes when you need it, right? It's like, it's a learning process. So I think, I think that's, I've seen student teachers not meld well with their you know, master teacher, because, well, I, I I still haven't done anything. Like they don't let me do anything. You know, I'm just observing. I'm just taking notes. I'm, oh gosh. You know what I mean? You got to get it there. You got to get into that fireball, man. <laughs> Sink or swim. So I would say if, if you're a student teacher and you're listening to this and just be, be honest with yourself and your university, if your cooperating teacher is not Letting you get out there and make mistakes. Ask for another one. Ask for another yeah. one as soon as possible. This is it, man. You student teach and it's like, go, get the classroom, have fun. Off you go. Yeah. Little fling out of the nest. You know, so if you don't get that practice in right there, I don't know. That I could not even imagine walking into a class and never having done any teaching. You know, they, they always say that, you know, oh, teaching's so easy. Those who can't do teach, teach yeah. Right? Oh, it's like, oh, I'm a, I, I invite you to come. <laughs> I just was wondering, I feel like student teaching isn't long enough. Did you feel like it was long enough? I think it's so important and they don't do this. Like for me, the most important thing to see is how to start the year. The student teachers come in weeks already into the school year or like uh ben i got you like at the half like at the halfway point of the school year almost you know what i mean student yeah. teaching needs to start at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year they need to learn you know how to you know build rapport just build yeah that's huge build rapport but you know put systems in place and things like that because they're already walking into a well-oiled machine they need to see how you got you know, all the parts on that machine. I think that for me, that would have been so beneficial if I could have started my student teaching at the beginning of a school year. That's huge. I think that's, that's everything I think. Yeah. Let me, let me build off that a little bit. That's a good point. Cause I think maybe that is where I got put on it at a disadvantage because Jen, I, I think she did give me the reins. Like, but the thing is, like you said, the machine was so well oiled. I didn't really have a lot of trouble there um the kids there was already a, a culture there of respect in the classroom and even though jen was like go out there um it, it's not the same as if i had started student teaching back in august where I'll, you know we're still trying to develop culture um so disadvantage i didn't get thrown into the fire but the advantage is it i think it did encourage me to see like okay what 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 it could be like um to teach with a nice, you know, well-ordered classroom that's well-oiled. And that for me was 
really cool. Like it, it motivated me more. And I, I saw, you know, what it could be like. Did you adopt uh, things that you saw in Jen's class for your own? Hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, one of the things I liked uh, about her class was how group oriented it was like well, all the group work. Um, and yeah, like doing, like making, making sure the kids had opportunities to really um, get to know each other, um, doing fun projects that were you know, educational at the same time. How was your first year? When you, this was your first year teaching this year, right? That's right. So how did it go in the very first days of your first time going into class? What did you do to prepare? Um, and how well do you feel that your uh, training prepared you for what you were walking into? I would say a lot of a lot of the preparation at the beginning was was building the um, the social aspect of the classroom uh, and finding ways like to have the kids get to know each other. Um, so it was a place where people felt comfortable with each other. And as far as like the training, I I admit like a lot of it. I did kind of throw out the window and I came to realize the the practicality of just making um, lessons with Jen, like me and me and her, we are like peanut butter and jelly. And, <laughs> um, I get so much from her, you know, she gets stuff from me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was really rough that first month or two. And it's still, I still have a lot of rough days now as a first year teacher, but I think um, I had planned out a lot of, things like discussions and, and spaces where, where kids could talk about things. And that was tough for me to be able to do that and keep everything um, like on track at the same time, like have a space where kids could share thoughts, but also respect each other. And like, Hey, one at a time here, wait till they're done talking, you know, like, um, so yeah, I think just being able to, um, yeah, manage manage all these different personalities, voices that that want to be heard, was kind of tough for me. Like, and that's that's something I'm still working on now. Like how to how to keep that order. Yeah, you'll be working on that forever. <laughs> will happen. You'll be working on that for the next. Yeah, there, six there's years. something wrong. <laughs> there's, there's, if you have the magic sauce to that, um, yeah, you can go travel around the world and be rich man, hundred percent. Mm -hmm. So, did you get any? I, I feel like discipline is the hardest part of teaching in a classroom. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have kids that come in and sit down, they're looking at you like, please teach me. I want to know everything you have to say. And they have their little notebooks out and their yeah, pencils okay. are all there and every, their computers are charged and everything's that's mm. a piece of cake. But the other stuff, especially in junior high, when you're dealing with so yeah. many growth aspects of the personality and they're physically and mentally, did you get enough training no to prepare you no for, no way huh no yeah. and even those How to handle discipline those like i had to do these <laughs> observations right like jen was talking about there's these videos they make you watch where it's it's just like a fantasy classroom right <laughs> it's you know like it could be 10 to 20 kids um and there's a yeah kids know there's a camera there too and i don't know i just feel like they always act so much better when there's a camera always that went up in the back of your classroom and don't turn it on I always tell them that the that the bubble in the middle of the room that's a camera. Oh, the light, the light switch. <laughs> oh yeah, automatic light. Yeah. No, whatever light that sensor. black thing is in the middle of our classroom. I that's always tell the them light the sensor. Yeah, the light they're sensor. not listening to this and now yeah. they're your secret. But that's always what I thought, Ben. I, 
I felt like they don't teach you. There's is, was there a course at all other than watching these fantasy videos where you got any exposure at all to how to handle disruptive students? The very students? first course I took was on somewhat about classroom management. And I remember hearing some tips that I, I still carry with me. But the thing is, like, I never got to see much of that being applied. It was just like they would give you these scenarios of like, okay, what what should you do in this situation? Like, what if, you know, like you find a kid watching something very inappropriate on their computer um, or something happens in front of the class that's really awkward, right? Like different ways of like de-escalating. I think that's one of the takeaways I got from my education is like try to de-escalate wherever you can. Like don't don't take things yeah, head don't on. Don't engage. Don't engage. Remember, like you got to remember you what it's lose. all about. Like <laughs> you're there to you're there to teach. And the, a lot of these students want to throw you off that track. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of, you know, trying to battle them in front of the whole class. And that's exactly what they want. One thing, one thing I can say from my observations, I've been doing a lot of observations in mm. high school. So different. Oh my gosh. Now, the, a lot of the kids um, that I've seen are 11th and 12th graders, and they're they're not. There is no mm. discipline issues at all. These these mm. student teachers are dealing with nothing. No discipline issues at all. Now, the kids may not be doing the work, and they may not be engaged. Mm -hmm. But you don't have kids like throwing things or shouting out at you or trying to get attention or being the class clown. It just doesn't happen. I haven't seen it, and I've been mm -hmm. doing this on you know almost like two semesters now. And even in the junior highs I've been at, mm -hmm. it's a little bit more loud, a little bit more rowdy. Uh, and I didn't, the, there wasn't anybody, the kids didn't get to see, the student teachers didn't get to see how yeah. these teachers set the things up. Uh, I feel it's a yeah. huge handicap on student teachers because that's the main reason mm -hmm. I think teachers leave is the yeah. disrespect from their students. And elementary and elementary school and junior high man, if you don't get help with that or don't get exposure to that, I think that's a problem. So kudos to you, Ben, for making it through your yeah. first year in a junior high, seventh grade. Yeah, that, that is that is something. Okay, so what what would you do if you, to make student teaching or your teacher training more hmm. effect, effective? What would okay, you add? add? Well, definitely what we just talked about, like, like you can only student teach at the beginning of the year. There's no spring option. Let's let's take that one out of there because it's way too it's way too deep into the year at that point. So let me let me ask you this then. Back when I went through my teacher training, I basically did my student teaching and then I was like out the door ready to go get my first class. There was no induction. There was no Cal TPA. <laughs> there was no teaching profession expectations. There was none of that. Um, I it was baptism by fire. I was in my classroom. Nobody came and checked on me unless it was another teacher coming in to see if I was okay, which thank goodness I had uh, mm. supportive teachers like that. I mean, I think I cried every day at the beginning <laughs> of school before I went to work. Seriously. I was the first one there before the custodian and I was the last one to leave. And I went home and I worked and worked and worked and worked. I had no support mm -hmm. at all. So now they have, it's, it's crazy to me that the university I'm working at the students have six observations every other week. This is student teachers. Mm -hmm. They have to turn in um, field work hours, how many hours mm -hmm. they work. 
they have to fill out progress checks with their cooperating teacher, which are go through all of the uh, teacher preparation, um, you know, the ones that you for your Cal TPAs and all of that. The This is for California folks. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very long and they have to do four mm -hmm. of them. And they have a seminar class yep. once a week. And once they get uh, into the classroom, then they go through two years of induction, meaning they have somebody who still comes in and monitors. And I'm sure that you're going through all of that. Yeah. So is that overkill God. or is that necessary? So overkill. Oh my God. What do you think? What do you think, new teacher? Yeah, I think some of it, yeah, is overkill. The the Cal TPAs, man, I'm telling you that that was a stress, a burden that I did not need while I was trying to teach. Um, right. If it, a lot of it does feel like busy work, um, and yeah, I think, I think it would it would be more helpful just to do the hands on experience. And it, yes, I do I do think it you need to have someone observing you and checking in on you so you have some direction there and someone who can show you like have a different perspective and see things that you can't see right as a as a new teacher like hey maybe you know maybe you get rid of this thing maybe you try something new here and then you're like wow i never even thought of that and i mm -hmm. but as far as like uh, all the paperwork, paperwork yes yes all that and the videos yeah. you have to do two videos i remember last year when ben was in my class and he would oh i gotta do this i gotta i'm like oh my gosh how do you like I'm a, like, I'm a veteran teacher, right? Mm -hmm. I, if I had to do that much work right now, just on top of like my normal schedule in life, mm -hmm. shoot me. It's insane. Like it's so much. Especially for like Ben, when you were going through all of this, were you, did you have another job? Cause you weren't getting paid to do any of this. Uh, no, luckily I did not. I did not have a job uh, aside from my student teaching. So, so you, you're living under your parents' roof at the time. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. I think that's a big factor too in me becoming a teacher is that I had that, that privilege. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And I, I had support, you know, all, all around me. And it was, it was one of those things that I, I, I was able to take a gap year after college and, and think real, real long and hard about it. Like if this was the thing for me, rather than it being like a necessity, like, all right, you got to, you got to make money somehow. Oh, teaching, that's an option. Because a lot of people jump into it because they need, they just they think it's job. easy. They need a job. Yeah. They think it's easy. That one student teacher I have right now has a job at night. Student teaches all day. Mm -hmm. And then coaches uh, a wrestling team. Wow. <laughs> and and has and drives from Fontana to Beaumont. Oh God. I bet. And how is that for He's, him? beat up i told him I said, be careful so that's why if they would pay student teachers don't you think that should be something they change mm -hmm, i do get some kind of you're teaching a mm -hmm. class you are doing a job here i mean i think that did jen i don't remember when i i had a, a student teacher once i don't remember what happened did you get compensated were you compensated at all for that no i've never work? been i have i have student teachers i've had a bunch of them i've never mm -hmm. been compensated See, that's another thing. So there should be some kind of a monetary uh, support for people who are going through this. Yeah. Well, and then for the master teacher too, like I, like how many times did I have to meet with your professor, Ben? I, like every two weeks, yep. I had to sit down and I had to be in the meetings to meet with them. So, I mean, that's time for me as well. You know what I mean? 
-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Just like you were saying, Anne, yep, six times every every two weeks, all those videos, no money. And then your seminar class, too, you're going to. It is so much freaking work. Mm -hmm. to, to, and to not learn anything is what's ridiculous. Yeah. Basically, the seminar classes these um, student teachers are involved in, they're just working for the most part on their Cal TPA. Mm -hmm. The California, was it California teaching profession? What's the A star stand for? Um, a bunch of bullshit. That's what it stands for. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cal Tipicaca. That's what we used to call it. Yeah, um, last year. I'm like, what do you wear? You got to work on your Cal Tipicaca today. Yep. Yeah. And my professor, man, she didn't even like, she was just kind of there. Like, hey, how you guys doing? Like, anyone mm -hmm. need help? Like, I, it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of structure to those seminar. Yeah. So it was just like a ch little check in. So let's let's talk for a minute here. Mm -hmm about the future and i'm just kind of curious now that you've you've kind of you're basically on the road to the end here right mm -hmm. there's a light I mean, yes you know because you've got uh state testing coming up that's a week and you've got you know reading testing coming up that's another week mm -hmm. and all the different kinds of things that are happening uh, don't even say that we're so far year. behind <laughs> i know that's a problem right all this stuff ah. interrupts your curriculum so what has been as a first-year teacher your greatest challenge I feel like I'm just going to give a super cliche answer here, but um, I, okay, think... I can edit it out. Yeah. I'll deep fake it and put something interesting in. There you go. <laughs> yeah. my voice. Um, I think, it, I think the hardest thing for me um, is just keeping the students on, on track. Like I, I think I, I have like a, I've got a pretty good dynamic in all my classrooms. Like, I like my kids. They like me. There's, there is a culture of respect, but the hardest thing about all that is that um, it, it maybe gets a little bit too, too friendly sometimes. And because of that, um, the students, like they just, they just want to say whatever they want to say um, at any, at any point, even if another student is speaking, it's, it's trying to create um, like almost like, you know, like a boundaries. Yeah, boundaries. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you were to do a Socratic seminar, right? Like there's there's an order to things. There's a protocol. Like, right? You gotta you gotta wait till someone else is done talking before you talk. It, it's super simple, right? It's it's simple I think stuff. They would learn I, that in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why am I? I thought this would be the easy part. Um, mm -mm. This is this is the struggle. That's why I say um, junior high is about teaching social skills. Yeah, you have, you're trying to teach kids how to be a human. Exactly. And what's hard for me is that um, I, I do struggle with consistency. And sometimes like maybe a kid will shout something out that I, I'm like, oh, that was good. That was good. Like, and I don't, I don't, um, you know, call them out on that and be like, hey, hey, wait, wait your turn. But then another kid will do it. And I'll be like, no, no, no. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. I, I struggle with that yeah. too. I struggle. With, I, still, I still struggle with I that. Yeah. You're right. That's super hard. One thing that mm -hmm. I did wrong my first year is I took everything personally. So if the mm. students were acting wrong or being bad or doing something, it was because of me. And I used mm -hmm. to just, I, I, I finally got tough skin. So what kind of a person would you say should be a teacher? Like what kind of personality traits do you need to be a teacher? And 
And mm-hmm. I guess it would be a junior high school teacher personality is going to be different than an 11th and 12th grade teacher personality. But in the in your experience with your knowledge, what kind of traits does a, a person need? And what kind of traits, if you have these traits, you should go run and do something else. <laughs> Don't be a teacher. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Well, I'm just going to build right off of what you said with the um, not being hard on yourself. So you have to understand that I think maybe 90% of the time, like what, what these middle schoolers are saying and doing to you are not, it's not personal. Um, most like if, if you're dealing with, with a kid, that's just frustrating the hell out of you, chances are like, they're doing the same thing to all the other teachers too. And it's not you. Um, and of course there are some exceptions to that. Maybe there is a kid that just has a grudge against you. And for whatever reason, um, as a teacher, a really important quality that you need is to, to let those words and actions just kind of bounce off you or, or go through you. Don't, don't let them stick because it's, it's not a reflection of who you are. Um, and you just simply not need to not take things personally. You need patience. Um, you need to understand where these, where these kids are at, where they're coming from, and that they're just, they're developing, um, that, that lack of empathy that they have at that age, um, can make things <laughs> <laughs> very hurtful, right? Like we've all been there. We've all been in middle school and we, we remember what it was like. And when you, when you go back and revisit that as a teacher, it's like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, some of the things they so say mean, to each yeah. other and to me, it's just so cool. Nope. Yeah. Like, and they have no remorse. And when I think of that, I'm like, okay, well, maybe, maybe you just, you know, as hurtful as it is, you just have to accept, accept that about them. And, you know, one um, thing I, I used to think about with those kids, like the toughest kid in the room, the one that's giving you the most trouble is the one that's hurting the most because, (laughs) yeah, because they don't, they don't wake up in the morning going, I'm going to make Mr. Ben's class hell today. I don't, (laughs) but I don't think they do. There's things like, there's things going on in their house that you don't know. There's things going on with their friends that you don't know. And they're mm-hmm. as a teacher, that's the kid you have to love the most. That's how I always looked at it. Yeah. I spent, I would spend time as much time as I could developing a relationship with that student, not to make them do homework or to do classwork, but to let them know that you're safe here and I care about you. And a lot yeah. of times their behaviors would definitely change. Like I, and I know Jen can vouch for this too. Uh, who, who, who at your school, Jen gets all the st- uh, students that none of the other teachers can handle. <laughs> Whose class do I put them in? Jen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, is that not true? Yes. Yeah. So they, and it's because you have to have a, um, first of all, it can't be thin skinned, right? That's kind of what you were saying then. And you have yeah. to have a lot of empathy for the kids who are hurting and yeah that that empathy and that that empathy has to be stronger than your own ego like yeah if you have any of that like right. because there yeah there will be days where you will want to tear your hair out um just because of what kids say to you bringing you down and you you need to your empathy for them needs to be dominant over over that and if you if you care enough 
I think you'll make it through and you'll, and you show that kid like that you have that genuine compassion for them and that you really are out there to help them. You'll, you'll see improvement. Um, and you may not he ever hear those words from them like that. Oh yeah. It really meant a lot to me how you, you kept trying with me and you never, you never gave up and you were so kind to me, even when I was so cruel to you. Um, those are the kids that come back mm -hmm. later. And it, I actually had, that happened to me a couple of times where students came back and said, can I apologize to you? You were right. And thank you for mm -hmm. understanding me. And when you get things like that, that happen, or somebody comes back and said, you know what you said in homeroom the other day changed. Me. And you're like, you know, what did I say? I I said. <laughs> but that's that, that right there is what to me teaching is all about, you know, and you mm -hmm. don't know, you won't know ever probably for most of your students, what you did for them. But that's yeah. part of the beauty of it, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And for me, I had I have a lot of knucklehead friends or friends that your ex knuckleheads, <laughs> you, know, you know, they were just the teacher's nightmare. And almost all of them tell me like, yeah, like, I can't believe I acted like that. You know, oh, my gosh, that that teacher was so cool. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I treated him so bad or her so bad and i'm like huh so i just kind of try to picture my students in the future and like what what they'll be reflecting on and just take my chances with them even if i don't ever get to hear them thank me right. it's that's that's part of the job i think if you talk to most people and you ask them about their growing up and their schooling that everyone could probably name at least one teacher that made a difference to them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a, a given. So Ben, I have to say, um, I think you, you're going to be one of those teachers where kids come back later and say, thank you, Mr. Ben, for being my teacher. <laughs> I think, I think your school's really lucky to have you mm -hmm. there. Um, and I think you were also super lucky to have Jen as a master teacher. Everybody should have Jen as a master teacher. Oops. Honestly, yeah. I, I have to tell you, she's one of the best teachers. Oh, ever. gosh. Edit, edit, edit. <laughs> that is masterful yeah. as fuck. <laughs> you can swear. That's okay. Yeah, okay, cool. Sh awesome. Shannon's usually Wasn't drinking sure while we're doing our podcast. <laughs> she swears oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to thank you, Ben, for taking time out of your day. Yeah, to totally. You. I think you have, a, you made a lot of good points that'll help other people who are possibly considering going into education. Hopefully you encourage them through your success and your yeah. advice. So awesome. And you know, yeah, if you're a new teacher, you know, someone's going to be a new teacher out there. Tell them to listen. Lesson. Mm -hmm. Ben sage yeah. words. Yeah. <laughs> After from not even from the one mouth year. of Ben's. Yes. <laughs> well, I just want to say it was, it was a pleasure and I feel like you guys really helped me um, clarify a lot of things too about, you know, how I feel about teaching and just, you know, putting things into words that I've, I've been mm -hmm. feeling. This has been, this has been good for me. And yeah, I hope all of you guys out there listening to this, um, you get something out of Not it. Big. Yeah, we, we do too. Mm. Like mm. more listeners. <laughs> so I know what's going to happen here. Um, those of you who are new teachers, yeah, I would comment. love for you to comment on how, how do you feel about the things Ben shared with us today? Have you gone through something similar? 
with that. Um, Are you pulling your, your hair experience out with, with student stupid work you have, you have to, to do at university? <laughs> maybe you like it. Or maybe you like it. Know. Maybe it's been helpful. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, we'd love to hear from you. You can you can leave us a, a comment here uh, or on your favorite uh, listening platform. Uh, you can comment and review, or you can go visit us at transparencyandteaching.com and see our website. Um, started a little something new, added some blogs in there now. And so you can do some reading, you can do some listening, whatever your preference is on that. So hopefully uh, we'll hear from you. I'd like hopefully. to hopefully. I'm sure tell everybody and tell all of your friends oh, you have a big family ben, do you have a big no family? i don't actually I have like a smaller family than most but i'll let i have a lot of <laughs> do you have any friends that have big families that i do have that i do have yeah i'll go i'll go be the the promoter now there you go Nice. <laughs> That's it. Cool, cool. Thank you, Ben. Anyways, ben, thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah, it was that was so fun. I'm not gonna lie though, there were some questions where I was like, "Fuck, I don't know what to say." Um, and I, I that's what you say. I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. That's what you say. <laughs>